What would you do if there was a natural disaster about to destroy your home? Or let me rephrase that question. What would you do if you thought a natural disaster was about to destroy your entire society? How would those around you behave? And if it was sudden, with not that much warning, what would the scenes around you be like? Try to imagine that for a moment. How would you cope? And what if you did manage to escape the disaster? Maybe found refuge in another society or nation that was friendly to your own? And what if that disaster was so devastating it started affecting them? Now, imagine if it was in an earlier time, before electricity and phones and all the modern technology we take for granted today. There was one such disaster from our distant past, and we've probably heard it in one form or another. The motion of the ship crashing against the waves was too much for the young man as he leant over the side, unsure of how long he could keep his composure. Not one for sea travel, spending most of his life on the plains, he wondered how he came to be here. Remembering his assignment to bring a scribe from the island kingdoms as he stared across the open sea, looking up at the grey sky, watching the birds flying in the opposite direction, and wondering if there was a storm brewing. A voice jokingly called from behind him. You Hittites, so brash and confident. A little boat trip and you're acting like a child. He turned around to answer the man lying in a pile of sacks and nets. Obviously relaxed, his face buried in a book, writing something. He answered sarcastically, And you islanders, wouldn't survive one week in my kingdom. Samuel, what are you writing in that book anyway? You're always scribbling something in there. What could be so important? Sama. He called him Sama for the first time since leaving Canossus. They had been formal the entire time, from the throne room until now. Sam has snapped the book shut, now annoyed by the nosy traveler. Rowan, it's nothing, just a record of my travels, and I... Sam has stopped mid-sentence, trailing off, obviously something catching his attention. Looking up into the distance, a cloud of smoke could be seen. A low rumble followed as the entire crew stood motionless, staring in awe at the sight they were sailing toward. The island mountain peak, which had been visible on the horizon since departing from Canossus, now billowed a thick black cloud. Massive, yet too far away to even guess its real size, the cloud slowly rose up, filling the sky around the island. Rowan and the crew looked at each other in silence, looking for an answer as if one of them knew, but no one had ever witnessed anything like this before. Sama stared, worried about what they were sailing into. His home island ahead, he knew it was the origin of the smoke. He mumbled under his breath, that's coming from home. His breathing became erratic, filled up with fear and wonder, unsure of what to expect when he returned home. With an eagerness that filled him, he wanted with every breath for the ship to go faster. 
and at the same time every thought in his mind was telling him to turn around. He began to think that only death awaited him there on that island, and he was sure the crew were thinking the same. Rowan broke the silence. Should we turn around? The captain standing at the front of the ship turned abruptly and walked past on his way to the rear to check the cargo was secure. No, he said with a look of uncertainty. You two aren't the only reason for this trip. We have cargo to deliver, and until something stops this ship dead in the water, we press on. The captain was an older man, past his prime, but not ready to retire. The sea was his life, all that he had ever known. Standing taller than most men, skinny, with a wrinkled face and long gray hair that was partially receding. Everyone called him Captain, crew and civilians alike, because no one had known him long enough to remember his name. It was something he enjoyed taking a kind of pride in. He had started as a sailor on the ship, the same ship, when he was barely a man and worked his way up to command. It was so long ago, even he didn't remember how many years he had been sailing. The bond he had with his ship was like that of a mother and son. It was an old ship, worn by years of service. A single mast, and it creaked with every crash against the waves. The wooden deck was stained by years of repeated spills, seawater, vomit, and mopping that had scarcely resembled wood at all. It was a tough ship. It had been through its share of storms and always held together. Even now the captain was sure of his lady. Sure she'd be ready for whatever they were sailing into. Making a living on this ship wasn't easy. It was small, barely large enough for a crew of 20, but they managed. Earning a living for their king, transporting cargo between the islands. But now his cargo included two men, both barely old enough to be called men. Looking intently at them, the first, Sama, a fellow islander, maybe in his early twenties, with olive skin and short curly black hair standing short and skinny. When talking to, he commanded a larger presence than most men. Obviously, the king trusted him enough to send him on this journey. And Rowan, the Hittite, also in his early twenties, a tall, skinny man, almost sickly looking, with short brown hair and always with a smile on his face. No one who smiles that much is to be trusted, he thought. It was a wonder if the two kings picked their scribes as a joke. But it didn't matter now. They were on his ship, and he had a duty to deliver them to the shores of the Hittite king. After stopping in their home port, of course. There was other cargo and business to take care of. Another rumble in the distance, and the crew stopped their duties, looking around at each other, with a growing sense of worry. Sam and Rowan sat beside each other, in silence, as they watched the island slowly come into view. Don't worry, Rowan. Once we get ashore, I'll take you to my sister's house. She's a very good cook and loves company. A word of warning, though, she tends to never shut up. Rowan looked at Sam's straight face, not sure if that was meant as a joke, before the islander suddenly burst out laughing, trying to ease the Hittite's nerves. Rowan smiled and laughed half-heartedly, still keeping his mind on the scene in front of them. As they approached the entrance to the harbor, its size and scale quickly caught Rowan by surprise. Having heard stories and rumors, his eyes now revealed what to be true. The ship passing through two small cliff faces separated by a distance no greater than their height entered a bay of calm water. 
the natural harbor where the city built up along the steep sloping mountain directly opposite the entrance, spreading outwards around the shores of the bay. Massive enough to hold thousands, with too many temples and structures to count from where he stood. A grand set of stone steps led up the face of the mountain, beginning from a courtyard at its base, surrounded by columns painted in bright colors, and ending at a massive temple near its peak. Visible from everywhere in the harbor, it was obviously the focal point of the entire island. Braced by columns at the entrance, with a bronze statue standing atop its roof, a giant statue of a man holding the sun on his back, seemingly fighting to keep it from descending beyond the horizon. Only the mountain peak itself, rising behind, dwarfed the structure in size and scale. Below in the harbor, three small peninsulas covered by warehouses and with docks jutting from their sides curved outward away from the city, toward the center of the bay. Ships of every size could be seen moored at the docks, with crew frantically loading supplies under the watchful eyes of a small group of citizens standing nearby. Some waiting to go aboard, while others just curious obviously eager to see the busy scene unfolding. Some ships were larger than their own, but most were of similar size, only able to take on a limited number of people, all blocking the docks, making it impossible to find a mooring. The captain, frustrated at this point, decided to force his ship onto an older dock further down the center peninsula near the base of the mountain. Empty with no one to bother them, they docked and began unloading onto the old wooden pier. Sam and Rowan stepped off, saying their goodbyes and thanking the captain for his services, as he tossed their bags at their feet on the dock. We embark before sunset. Be sure you're at this dock. Staring up into the smoke-filled sky, the sunlight almost all but masked, Sam mumbled. And when exactly is that? Ignoring the sarcasm, the captain scoffed and returned to more pressing duties, untying knots of rope fastened to his cargo and barking orders to his crew. They then made their way into the town, which ran along the harbor, sloping up a steep hill as the worn grey cobblestone streets wound their way inland. Sama kept up a fast pace, eager to see his sister, obviously knowing his way around. Growing up in this town, it was all too familiar. Rowan, trying to keep up, was distracted, trying to look into every shop and door as they briskly walked past, only catching glimpses of the various things and through the doorways. Everything a person could want. Food, spices, jewelry, clothing, and even things he couldn't recognize. Maybe if he had more time to browse. Rowan, try to keep up. My sister's home isn't much further. Rowan's head snapped to attention to the sound of Sam's voice as he tripped over an exposed rock jutting up in the middle of the street. He could see Sam was standing at the top of a hill in an intersection waiting impatiently. Rowan, distracted, and trying to take it all in, answered. Sorry, I was looking at all the shops. I've never seen so many things being sold in one... Sam interrupted him. We can wander around later. Right now I want to eat. Are you not hungry? That ship food was disgusting. Rowan, smiling, continued walking and the two of them made their way through the winding streets to a small single-story whitewashed stone building on a side street packed between two larger buildings containing shops. Sam knocked and minutes passed before the door slowly opened then a woman gazed around the side with a worried look on her face in a trembling voice she said Sama it's so good to see you we were wondering when you'd come home she excitedly wrapped her arms around her brother squeezing him with all her strength 
She then gestured for the two men to enter, not even questioning who her brother's companion was. Samma was home, and they were going to enjoy dinner. It's been months since they last talked, and there was so much catching up to do. So who's your friend? Before Samma could answer, she reached out her hand introducing herself. You can call me Gaia. Reaching for her hand, Rowan couldn't help but chuckle as he answered, Rowan, it's a pleasure to meet you, Gaia. She had an infectious smile, a face that was calming to look at, with perfect olive skin and standing as tall as her brother with a heavier figure, that of a woman who had given birth more than once. Her hair was black, tied up, and had a reflective shine when she walked past the shimmering light of the candles. Combined with her welcoming and outgoing personality, it was easy to see why Rowan was so eager to rush through the streets and make it home. The three of them walked into the kitchen where the two men sat down at the table, watching Gaia as she began to prepare dinner. There was a fireplace jutting outward into the room, with a metal bar across the top supporting a single pot that had been stewing a broth all day. Below a metal pan was just above the fire, sitting bare, obviously hot from the continuous flame beneath. She reached for a plate full of freshly cleaned fish. She had been busy preparing when the two men arrived at the door. Setting them down on the pan, they sizzled instantly as she poured a light film of olive oil around them. Setting the jar of oil on a small counter beside the fireplace, Gaia placed her hands into a copper basin jutting out from the wall, into which a steady stream of water flowed through. Slowly rinsing her hands, she wondered to herself how long Sama was to continue with small talk before asking what was surely on his mind. Sama, eager to know what was happening, began to question Gaia about the looming black smoke over the island that seemed to be swallowing up the sun more and more, turning the average day into what seemed like the darkest of moonless nights. Checking on the broth, she started to question Rowan to the annoyance of her brother. After all, he was her brother. She hadn't seen him for months. And there was a stranger in her kitchen that had her attention. Sama laughed to himself under his breath. He always said she never shuts up, and he might as well enjoy it for now. His turn will come later. She was sure to tell him about all the things he missed while he was gone. So Rowan, where are you from? You're obviously not from the islands, she asked with her back to them, still busy with preparing dinner. Rowan sat with his elbows on the table, leaning forward, watching her, and wondering what she was preparing. No, I am Hittite. King Mercilli's scribe to Canossus. Your brother was chosen by your king, Astoran, to be my counterpart in my kingdom. I received an order to return, so I'm bringing him back to Hattusa. Reaching into his shirt, Rowan revealed a round iron medallion hanging around his neck, half the size of his palm with obscure writings carved on its face. Placing it on the table, Rowan rubbed the skin which had become red from the weight pulling down on the rope, still damp with seawater. Gaia continued her litany of questions while Sama seemed to ignore what he deemed mindless chatter. But Rowan seemed to be enjoying the conversation. Someone so interested in his life was a change. Usually no one gave him a second thought. Being a servant of the king never brought the slightest recognition. What path in life brought you to become a scribe, she asked. Well, I am the king's cousin, and like all rulers, he needed people he trusts in places of importance. Gaia turned around. I have royalty sitting at my table. Very exciting, she said in a sarcastic tone. Rowan laughed. She had a sense of humor, the kind that would go over well in a tavern, not afraid, that, afraid to say what was on her mind. 
Yes, I am royalty, but if you knew the number of cousins the king has, then you would know it's not a title worthy of anything. The conversation continued as she fried more fish, piling up the cooked portions onto a plate in the middle of the table. She kept adding fish to the pan as if she was expecting more company. Rowan looked on, wondering who else was coming. Gaia poured two cups of wine from an earthenware jar that was sitting on a side table in the kitchen. I'm sorry, where are my manners? I forgot to offer you a drink, she said as she sat them down in front of her brother and his companion. Rowan took a drink, tasting the wine, bitter and warm. The smell of alcohol was strong coming from the cup, even after he had tasted it. Not the best wine he'd ever tasted, not the worst, but it was enough to get him drunk, he thought as he took another drink. Sama, used to the wine, set his cup on the table, already empty, much to the surprise of Rowan. Gaia then set the jar down beside his cup, expecting him to help himself. Sama picked up the jar, looking at his contents. Still the same brew, sister? He looked at Rowan and whispered, We call it dragon piss. Enjoy. Gaia interrupted, I don't brew it, I just serve it. Feel free to make your own. Sama smiled, taking another drink as Rowan coughed, trying to tit down his own. The two men were enjoying the wine, chatting with Gaia, with each other, when suddenly the door opened. A middle-aged man wearing what looked like a military uniform entered the kitchen, carrying a large oval shield covered in a bull's hide and a long, narrow sword. Staring at the two men, there was an awkward pause as he wiped a trace of blood from the tip of the blade before setting down his equipment. He walked over to Gaia, giving her a kiss on the back of her neck. She didn't even bother turning around, still slaving over dinner. Where were they this time, Pontos? She asked in a serious tone. Just as he answered, two young boys, aged eight and ten, ran into the kitchen and sat down at the table, not noticing their uncle, too eager to tell their mother about what they had seen. Gaia, they were in the square watching the priestesses, with their dancing and their damned sacrifices. She snapped at them. Boys, I told you never to go there. Why did you ignore me? And say hello to your uncle. The two boys' eyes went wide, putting smiles on their faces as they turned their heads towards Sama. They jumped off their chairs, knocking them to the floor as they rushed around to the table to greet their uncle. They always loved sitting down and listening to him tell stories about all the things he's seen traveling around the islands. He was a young man, but had been traveling for as long as they could remember, returning on occasion to entertain them, causing their minds to dream of wondrous things, and if they would ever see them themselves. The boys called out in unison as they gave Sama a welcoming embrace, quickly letting go and standing beside him. Uncle Sama, what did you bring us? Gaia rolled her eyes as Sama reached for something to pique the boy's interest. Reaching under his shirt, he pulled out a golden medallion hanging by a rope around his neck. Similar to Rowan's, half the size of his palm, yet with a bull's head engraved on one side and a sun on the other. This is the royal seal from Canossus. I am on a mission from the king to become a scribe for King Mercilia Vatusa. This is my friend Rowan. He is a Hittite, and he is accompanying me on the journey. Setting it down beside the other, their interest became focused on Rowan's with its strange writings. One of the boys gathered the courage to ask the stranger sitting at their table as he picked it up examining the carvings, slowly dragging his fingertips across them. What are these writings? What do they say? 
Pausing a moment before smiling, Rowan leaned over and pointed out each of the markings, answering the boys' questions. Taking a small joy watching the wonder in their curious eyes. The center is hieroglyphic. The middle ring is the language of my people, Hatti. And the outer ring is Akkadian. They all say the same words. The one who bears this speaks for the king, Mersili. You can speak all those languages? I can speak many more. Uncle Sama, can you speak all of those? Shifting awkwardly in his chair, Sama reluctantly answered the boy. No, I have yet to learn Akkadian. Rowan looked over at Sama. How can you call yourself a scribe and not know how to speak Akkadian? Every scribe knows the language. It's the common tongue from Babylon to Thebes to Hattusa. Well, that is why I am going to Hattusa, to learn. Am I right, Rowan? Sama answered mockingly. The two men burst out laughing as the boys looked at each other, confused, obviously missing the joke before returning their gazes back to the table. Mesmerized by the medallion, they both reached out, but Sama quickly hung it back around his neck and tucking it under his shirt before they could touch. As Rowan took his back from the boy, still chuckling, Sama changed the subject, asking his two young nephews, So what did you see the priestesses doing? The boys answered, still staring at his shirt. They were sacrificing a cow to keep the mountain gods happy. They've been awake for days now, shaking the whole island. Guy interrupted, not wanting the boys to worry their uncle. You two go wash up. Dinner will be ready soon. The two of them ran off into the next room as Gaia continued preparing dinner. Pontos, as Rowan had now figured, was her husband, sat down at the table, greeting Sama and exchanging introductions with Rowan before going into the events of the day. You won't believe it, Gaia. Those damn priestesses. They think they can stop the mountain by killing a few cows. It's something else. We've never done anything to offend the gods. And now? Why now? Why would they become angry? It can't be their doing. The shaking won't stop. I worry we should leave the island. People are becoming afraid and desperate. When the priestesses realize the cows are not enough, then they'll move on to people. I don't want to be around when that happens. Gaia answered. Pontos, I will not leave my home because of some shaking. That mountain has done it before and it will do it again. Stop scaring our guests. Pontos, angry that his wife didn't share his concern, continued as Sam and Rowan listened intently. Gaia, this is worse. Others have left the island already. Not because of the shaking. It is that thick black smoke filling the sky. I've never seen smoke come from the inside of the mountain, and you know you have not either. Sama was curious, not knowing the whole series of events, now asked Pontos to continue to explain what has been happening. Pontos reached for the wine jar and poured himself a cup with his unsteady hand, his nerves shaking by the constant worry of the danger looming over the island. The shaking began three days ago, and no one thought anything of it. Then this morning there was a noise louder than anyone had ever heard. The top of the mountain burst open, seemingly as if it had been thrown off, pushing from the inside out. Then the smoke began rising into the sky, thick and black, straight up dimming the sun. With every hour it seems to become thicker and blacker. People, and even the birds, have already begun leaving. Others in this town are acting stranger getting desperate, looking for anything to appease their gods. We need to leave before it comes to that. 
Even the wisest elders are beginning to say things that they would not dream of before all this started. Calling for greater offerings? If that mountain becomes worse, then chaos will descend upon us. Pontos was beginning to worry Sama and Rowan. They were already uneasy from the ship, witnessing the chaotic and frightening events before reaching the seemingly safe lodging in his home. But now hearing the stories being spoken from the words of a man living on the island was unnerving. Sam knew his brother-in-law was part of the local militia, entrusted with keeping order. Hearing him speak about the events unfolding was beginning to feed a growing sense of fear into the two travelers. Sitting at the table, they wondered if returning to the ship was still an option. But Gaia calmed their fears, downplaying her husband's rant while topping up their wine. Men and their stories. Pontos, please don't worry our guests. Sam is used to your rambling, yes. But look at Rowan. You have him worried. She pointed to Rowan, who was wide-eyed, listening to Pontos explain the events of the day. Sama chuckled, trying to hold his cup steady to his lips as he sipped, knowing that Pontos tended to embellish the stories whenever wine was involved. Rowan stared at Pontos, who was arguing with Gaia, and wondered if what he was saying was true. He had been on that rickety ship for days, traveling between the islands, each time happy to disembark, but now he feared if his situation had become worse. Perhaps that ship, as small and as crowded as it was, with all its stench, was safer. They continued to talk, changing subjects, catching up, telling stories, and getting to know each other. Gaia finished serving dinner as her sons returned to the kitchen after washing up. They sat down at the table, staring at the food displayed on a platter in the center while listening to the three men talking, wondering when they would be allowed to fill their plates. Gaia placed a bowl of vegetables on the table and sat down, gesturing for everyone to help themselves to the food. Always the good hostess, she waited for everyone to fill their plates before getting her own. She then reached for a piece of fish, just as the house began shaking, causing the wine cups to topple over on the table, and a noticeable cloud of dust to fall from the ceiling. With a look of worry, she froze, staring into the eyes of her husband sitting across the table. The room was silent. The shaking was becoming worse, and everyone knew something wasn't right. Pontos gently reached across with both hands, taking his wife's, which was trembling and squeezing the fish with all its strength, seemingly no longer under the control of Gaia. They stared into each other's eyes, hers with a blank look of fear that she could no longer cover up with a false show of hospitality. His was a soft, calming look, trying to reassure her that the danger would pass. But they both knew deep in their hearts that this was something out of their control, and pretending could only go so far. They stared for what seemed like an eternity before Gaia began to relax her grip, aware of the others watching them. Pontos knew she was doing her best to ignore the looming disaster, and again tried to get her to see reason. Maybe head for a ship and sail out before things became worse. If they could get any worse. Gaia... He said in a soft tone, still holding her hand. We need to leave. Now. There was a long pause as she looked down at their hands, thinking what she should say, not trying to scare her children. A tear began welling up in her eye and rolled down her cheek. Before she could say a word, another loud, thundering noise came from across the bay, followed by more shaking. Stronger than the one before, causing the pot hanging over the fireplace to fall, spilling out over the floor. 
She stood up, letting out a short scream. Pontos followed suit and walked around the table, holding her in a close embrace. With her face buried in his chest, she could conceal her fear any longer and began crying. Pontos whispered into her ear, Go pack our things. Only what we can carry. We leave tonight. Sam's ship is still at the dock. Without a word, she rushed out of the kitchen, leaving her guests with a growing look of fear on their faces. Wondering if the ship was still there. The captain was a brave, arrogant man, but then he also wasn't a fool. Perhaps he'd left without them. A sense of eagerness welled up inside them, causing Sam to go find his sister and see if he could help. Rowan sat at the table, not knowing what to do. Then Pontos broke the silence. Do you remember where your ship is? Rowan nodded his head. Go. We'll be there as soon as we can. Tell them to wait. Rowan picked up his bag, when suddenly there was a knock at the door. Both Pontos and Rowan approached. Pontos opened it, and much to his surprise, there were two men dressed in similar uniforms. Speaking before he could react. Sir, we've been ordered to the temple. The priestess are calling us to arms. Pontos paused, knowing if he, the commander of the militia, didn't report as ordered, the priestess would get suspicious. He needed to buy time for his family to make it to the docks and prepare the ship. Just a little bit of time was all they needed, he thought, as he put on his armor in the doorway. Gaia and Sama appeared, curious to see who was at the door. He turned to Rowan before walking out the door. Do as I said and wait for me. Gaia, Sama, you two get the boys of the docks. I will meet you there. Gaia stopped her husband in the street, giving him a long kiss. When she turned to walk back into the house, she noticed a small speck fall past her cheek, then another, and another. She looked up, causing her husband and the two soldiers to follow her gaze. They stood motionless as another flake of what seemed like snow fell from the sky. They had heard stories of snow, but had never witnessed it on their island. There was an eerie silence as more and more fell from the sky. Gaia reached out her hand to catch one and looked closer. Ash. I think it's Ash, she said surprisingly. Everyone stood, staring up in awe toward the blocked-out afternoon sky as more ash began to fall, piling up on the street, muffling the sounds around them. Almost forgetting what they were setting out to do, another loud rumbling shook the island. Pontos looked at Gaia. She only needed one word to speak. Go. Just a few notes. If you notice the difference in audio quality between the beginning and the actual story, you are not imagining things. I'm still getting my feet wet with podcasting, and after recording the first story, I immediately upgraded my equipment. And I apologize for the difference in quality, but rest assured, every story from here on out will sound just as you hear me now. As for the story that wasn't the end, this is a multi-part story. I originally wrote the majority of it as a novel, but being a fan of podcasts myself, I thought this would be a much better way of getting my story out there. 
And to be honest, it's much more fun. Be sure to keep checking for more episodes as they come out. And thank you for listening.